You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, we thank you that you are God of all nations and that um, through your son, Jesus Christ, um, you have made us all one. Um, We thank you for our partnership with the Shira Diocese in Rwanda. We thank you for the amazing work that you are doing there um, through your church. And we thank you that uh, that we, through partnership, um, are able to be a part of that. Um, And we thank you for bringing to us today um, not only Bishop Sam, but also um, Bishop Banda and Chantal and um, and Drayton neighbors who, who started this whole relationship. We thank you for them and um, and for being a God of relationship. And so now, Lord, as um, we spend some time with Sam, we do pray that you will open our eyes to hear from you. And we ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 Um, so we're so blessed today to be able to spend some more time with um, Bishop Sam Mugisha, who, as you um, probably remember, was here with his family for a year while he started um, his doctorate of ministry program at Beeson. Um, and so as he's back, um, we're going to just ask him some questions. Um, but I'm going to ask Charlie DeBartelaben, who went with us last year to Rwanda, just to share a little bit about his experience to give you um, just a little personal taste um, to give some context. And then we'll start asking Sam lots of questions. And then we'll also have some time at the end um, for you to ask some questions. Great. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Buddy. Uh, I know you're here to uh, hear Sam, so I'll, I'll be brief. Um, but... You know, this time last year, I got a, uh, I got an email from Bethany, um, and I see some people that were here with me on this trip. I got an email from Bethany, you know, and, and about going to Rwanda, and I really didn't know, you know, really what was going on. I said, you know, Lord, where are you leading me? I had no idea, but I listened, and I just kept, you know, fortunately, Bethany would continue to email me a couple more times, and I said, Lord, I'm going to follow. I'm just going to listen. I'm going to follow. And fortunately, Bethany put together some materials, some books that helped a lot, uh, meetings together, praying a lot, and led me to Rwanda. I had no idea what to expect other than what I'd read, what we went over in our in our meetings and dinners and so forth. And to say it was a life-changing experience is probably the understatement of, the, of my lifetime. It was absolutely incredible. Yes, definitely life-changing. Didn't know what to expect when we got there. The, the very first day that we spent in Kigali, uh, went to the to the genocide memorial, and I'd read about the genocide, and read both sides of um, of the two factions that were involved in the genocide. But anyway, going to the memorial and seeing this firsthand, literally overwhelming. Seeing the bodies, 250,000 bodies that are buried there today, and more being buried every day. And looking down in through a glass window into those bodies and seeing the white sheets covering them with the sign of the cross on top of them, it just tore me up. I mean, literally, it's difficult for me to talk about. Going through the museum and seeing the Holocaust, not just the genocide in Rwanda, but the Holocaust all over the world that, is, that has happened and is happening right now in front of us. It, it's just, it shook me, shook me to the core. The next day we go and we leave to... Uh, see the, the Tria Diocese and go through these beautiful hills and mountains and meet Sam, meet the bishop and their families. And when I mean family, I mean family as close as my family is today. I mean, I love these men and these women. And meeting them and the overwhelming love that they had for us 
and seeing this firsthand, and even when they're not around us, us walking around in the village, and seeing the overwhelming love for one another, and what has happened since that horrific genocide in 2004, what has happened over the last 20 years is absolutely astounding. And only, only by the hand of God can something like this happen. It overwhelmed me. It overwhelmed me as much as seeing those bodies in, in the genocide memorial. Only by the hand of God could this happen. And leaving, there was an article in USA Today, uh, two days after we, we came back, a full-page article in USA Today, talking nothing about Rwanda. And wow, it's just the Lord talking to me, saying, Rwanda is a nation that all other nations need to regard, need to look at, need to need to just not only amplify, but 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 learn from. We can do this. Our country can do this. I wish everybody here had, a, had an opportunity to see and witness what I had an opportunity. And it's just it's just an honor to be with this man, be with his family over here, um, and now the new Archbishop. It's just, I mean, the Lord is working in such unbelievable ways. It is it's amazing. If you get a chance to read uh, from Barefoot to Bishop, please do. But but also read Left to Tell, read other books. And I know there's a couple in here that are considering going and praying. Do it. Absolutely. There's, there's, I mean, it's, it's the best decision you ever make in your life. I guarantee you. I'll, I'll put my word on that. So without further ado, we have Bishop Sam, the next bishop, uh, the three dioceses with us. Uh, Sam, uh, God bless you, and thank you for being here with us. Thank you. Just tell us how you became bishop. What was your your uh, your road to to the enthronement? Well, I I don't know where to start, but I think I say I I had some people when I was still. Even a Sunday school teacher tell me that I would become bishop, but I never took it serious. And uh, as I became a pastor, uh, of course, every pastor, I think, to some extent, you think maybe one day mm-hmm. I may become. <laughs> <laughs> but then for me, my I had a very young bishop who uh, I think he had so many years to to lead us, so I was ready to be a pastor, and I, I never thought I would be a bishop at all until they told me, uh, maybe you may become, that I said, well, I will only believe you when I see it, <laughs> and, and indeed uh, it happened uh, by God's grace. I had uh, Bishop Mbanda uh, share with me and my bishop that they thought they would like me to come and replace him sometime when he retires. And I I prayed about it. He went through the synod. They elected me. And uh, and I became. And, wow. and he's been wow. mentoring me. He mentored me before. <laughs> and he's been really going with me through this transition. And I think that's one of the best things you can ever have, to have somebody who's been in a position mm. walk with you. Mm-hmm. And then set Amen. you to move on. Amen. Yes. Great. Yes. Uh, well, tell yeah. us a little bit um, about the Shira Diocese. Yeah. Shira Diocese is a very, it's a very big place in the northern part of Rwanda. Four districts, very beautiful, very fertile, with very hardworking people. I would call that the Bible Belt of our region because of the co- the border with Uganda and Congo. Uh, it has very, very good people who are very dynamic. Uh, the, the people in that area are known to be truthful. 
when they like you, they tell you, and when they don't like you, they, they also tell you, <laughs> and they do something about it. So uh, I'm really, I'm really happy to be there, and I feel comforted that they loved me and they received me well. Uh, Shira Diocese is a place which has experienced a lot of uh, history because of the genocide. They had a lot of uh, insecurity during after the genocide, so they know what it means not to have peace, and they know what it means to have peace. Uh, there are people who love the Lord, who are very committed. Uh, in the last about about two years, when I've been in Shira, we've had hundreds of confirmations, if not thousands. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a place we ever went and we didn't confirm 150. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been to about about nine confirmations and they were all above 200, 150 people. So uh, I see Shia Diocese as another opportunity for ministry that could be, uh, that could spread even into Uganda and Congo and, mm. and the rest of Rwanda because most of these people are young people. Most of them are young people coming in for ministry, excited about the church. And uh, the, the biggest right now is the, uh, the daycare centers that we have opened up into churches mm-hmm. with thousands of, thousands of kids. So I see that as another opportunity for Nasari to raise these kids into uh, some young people who love the Lord because this is yeah. this is the opportunity that we have. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you yeah. have several different um, types of ministries that really are platforms for discipleship, or yeah. um, can you share a few of those other uh, things that y'all are working on? Yeah, I think uh, definitely uh, the early childhood development centers are one of the things that are going to be. Uh, on the list, the other part is the youth. The youth, uh, we have so many young people, as I said, that we have been confirming and baptizing. Uh, I think we will need a very strong youth department mm. that will engage these young people, that will equip these young people to move on into adulthood with mm-hmm. that desire and with that, that vision for ministry. Uh, another ministry that I'm really thinking that is very, very important is uh, what Bishop Mbanda has done, uh, the sustainability of the diocese. Uh, I really think we need to be very strict with that, very serious, because Shia Diocese has experienced one of the worst financial disasters, I think, in Rwandan history. So I think we, we've paid our school fees. We're not going back into that school. <laughs> So we must really stand up and hold whatever we have with very serious business principles, integrity, and uh, and clear financial uh, responsibility. That's what I think. So I think those three right now, uh, in brief, I would say evangelism and making sure that our sustainability projects are handled professionally and properly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things I was so um, just encouraged by was the use of community Bible studies yes, through the diocese yes, yes, and yes. how many 
yeah. were going on, the numbers just kind of blew us away. Mm. Do, you, do you know this off the top of your head? Uh, we have <laughs> uh, we have what is written in the books is 13,000 but I think it's even more than that wow. Wow. so when you look at uh, the community Bible study uh, groups connected with all the uh, the confirmations that have been happening and the number of youth in the diocese it goes back to what I talked about evangelism if we have very strong evangelism we will i think rise a very powerful population for ministry uh, one of the things that i'm doing is to this is what i'm writing for my doctoral thesis is raising leaders for ministry mm. so i think we cannot be on every hill on every valley on every village but if we train trainers to be there mm-hmm. because it's their home it's their place they know their people they can train and we can come in to facilitate and to encourage and we could have we could have something really special in this place yeah standing yeah, you know you mentioned the youth and i was thinking back to the one egg uh, yes, yes. and at the reconciliation village and for those of you who don't know reconciliation village is where they've taken the victims and the and the perpetrators together and have literally lived together you know, since the genocide, and uh, you've probably seen the eggs out at the uh, out at the uh, store uh, here that uh, helps you know fund this project. But our team going in and watching these children, seeing these eggs just you know laying on the on the first pew, and these children sitting there, what three to five years old, and yeah. and, and very patiently, and this may be the only meal that they have for the day, mm-hmm. but they're very patiently waiting for the egg. And after songs and sermon, and they're they're mm-hmm. sitting there waiting and. We get up and we hand them their eggs. Mm. And I'll never forget this one little girl dropped her egg and a little boy next to her was handing his egg to her. And I think Elna, someone tried, one of the uh, boys tried to hand, hand his egg to Elna thinking this may be the only egg that she has for the day. <laughs> so he wanted to share with her. Yeah. It, you talk about overwhelming, just, it just brings tears to your eyes. Yeah. So that, that where yeah. you're building from the, yes. from the youth is so strong. We, we love oh. that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think for those of you who may not know, but we... Uh, Bishop Mbanda, when he started this project of opening up churches to become uh, kindergartens or daycare centers for children, we also had a project that would bring in one egg for a child every day. The children are in at 8 and they leave at midday. So the only meal we can give them is an egg. Sometimes they give them a cup of porridge and sometimes that makes their day until maybe dinner time. But this project has been a blessing because it has brought in children from all denominations, Muslims, Catholics, Pentecostals, because they want their kids to come to church, have an egg, be taught, and again it gives the mom time to go and dig without, without the kids running behind them and crying and all that. So we see this as a big opportunity to reach people who are not members of our church, to love them, but also to talk to them. Uh, This project is going to be a big thing for the country because it's going to make sure that these kids are protected from abuse. These kids are going to be uh, taken care of. Uh, I've been thinking something as we visit them to, to find out what we can do to them because some of them have some small some small wounds, some 
some skin diseases in their heads. You see that there is a need for medical care and yet you don't know where to go immediately. I think that is something else that as a church we need to think about. Perhaps a small clinic, perhaps mm -hmm. a, a mobile clinic, I don't know. Or something that will help people to be able to treat a child mm. uh, in a certain church as they see it. Because one of these diseases are brought about by malnutrition, you know that, skin diseases or, or even just getting a wound and it's not taken care of and gets worse as time goes on and the mom is busy, the dad comes at night, nobody sees and it could be anything. So there's, uh, I think there's a lot that the Lord is going to show us as we move on because I think uh, sheer diocese is rising as, as an opportunity for ministry in many ways. And, and I think your partnership, your visits, your prayers are something that are going to be uh, really welcome. Uh, personally, when these guys came, I know sometimes you say, oh, we are taking your time. But let me tell you, there is nothing as good as knowing that you have somebody praying for you. You have, you have somebody supporting you. You have somebody who cares. <laughs> because coming to Rwanda, you don't just jump into your candy. Come, you, you plan, you put money on put money down, you sit on the plane many hours. I think we recognize all that and we appreciate and we we feel we are not just Christians in a corner struggling on our own, but we are a team with people who are even far thinking about us and loving us. So we appreciate what Amen. you guys are doing. Yeah, kind of a good segue into the, into the next question. Um, it says, as an Advent, it says, considers, I'm going to say, maintains ourselves in partnership with the Sharia Diocese. So what does the gospel partnership across the globe mean to you? As you're just kind of articulating right there, how much that means. Uh, I don't know if you ever struggle with this, but I've always struggled with this in life. Lord, do you, do you recognize what we do? Do you really care about it? Am I crazy? Am I? <laughs> I don't know if you ever struggle with that, but even now I still sit there and say, do you want me to do this? Or I'm just wasting time. Or... But that, for me, that visit, the presence of partners confirms to me that yes, this is it. Amen. You're not crazy. Move on. This is what I've called you to do and do it. Because as you go into ministry, uh, those of you who have taken a step into active ministry, sometimes you sit down as a person and you say, what am I doing? Is this necessary? Is this what I should be doing? Is this God's will? But there is a feeling that, that you get when you partner with people, when you pray with people, when you fellowship with people. That encouragement to say, yes, yes, you are not on the team alone. Mm. The Lord is with you, but other people are with you. Amen. So that's what I see mm. in this partnership. And I pray that we'll continue like this. Mm. Because down there on the ground, in the <coughs> villages, that is what is in the, that's what is in the church. Mm -hmm. When we visit mm. with Bishop Mbanda and Chantal and everybody else, they say, wow. 
one of the people told us that on the village they say, you guys, you're blessed. Your bishop came here. Your, mm-hmm. He parked his car over there. And <laughs> he, he knows you by name. Yeah. I mean, Cows come running towards him. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that, that sounds very simple, but it really speaks volumes. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. shows you that you are not alone. We are, we are family. We are together, and and together we can exist. Yeah. Yeah. Going back a little bit, you mentioned um, really leadership development and pastoral training, even for people that aren't ordained. Can you talk a little bit about what that has looked like in the Shira Diocese? Because there's yeah. been a lot of effort that I know Bishop Manda has put into yeah. really training up the leaders within these yeah. local village parishes. Yeah. Uh, right now, as the diocese grows up, we have so many schools, we have so many projects that have come due to Compassion International. Uh, we have <coughs> projects like Community Bible Study. We have projects like the hotel that is supposed to be income generating. When we raise leaders, we are not saying we are raising leaders who will only preach. We are raising leaders who can be in each of those. We want good teachers, we want good head teachers, we want people who work in our hotel but are Christians. We want people who will run the One Egg Project with integrity uh, and yet have some business mind. We are looking for developing somebody who is holistic, not just to preach, but also whatever you do, let Christ be seen into it. Because that's what the church is. The church is about a team of people bringing in all their knowledge, all their love, all their resources for the glory of God. Mm. So as we train these people, it's not that you must preach. Mm-hmm. But I want you to be a preacher where you are mm. as you do your job. So that anybody can say, I think something is special about this one. Great. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Um, we will allow a little time for questions, um, you know, for, for Sam. Um, don't we have anything else in, in closing? Anything else that, uh, you know, you want to pray after the questions? Or Okay, let's do that. Any questions for Sam? What's opening up there? Yes, sir. Are there, what other religious uh, outfits, say, say Islam, for example, yeah. are there either competing with your, with your efforts or getting in the way of your efforts. How do you deal with that? Uh, I think the Muslims that we have have been good so far. I don't think I have. we've had any challenges with them, but there are very few in Musanzi. Am I right, Bishop? There are few. Very few. But I want to tell you that the Muslims that I knew in the parish that I was before, their children called me their pastor. Because we had a football team, and I loved them, and they loved me. I respected them. They they called me their pastor, and I I was humbled by that. So I think that brings me back to ministry is is sharing what you have, is loving somebody no matter who they are, and that is the first someone you can ever preach to anybody. So I think we will continue in that way. Provide them eggs for their kids, provide them education in every way we can, and I think that will speak. And then we can preach on top of that. 
Pardon? Does that win them over? Are you able to say proselytize that, that group? I don't know what you're asking. I don't, I don't Muslim, understand what you're First of all, the Muslim population in Rwanda is very small, yeah. so like less than 5%. Mm -hmm. So there's not that much of a quote of a, of a okay. threat. That I think what uh, Bishop was saying is, you know, wherever they're interacting, it's not, as uh, Andrew just said, you're not winning them over by arguing, the, I'm going to mm -hmm. argue into Christianity. It's mm -hmm. just the demonstration just from Sam and, and, the, and Bishop Mabanda, mm -hmm. but the people there, and they mm -hmm. see this, and they just see the love for one another. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost just self-pervasing of, of how, you know, why would you even want anything else, whether it's... You know, again, Episcopal or Catholic or whoever else over there. It's just, mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt your question. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but we have also seen, sorry to interrupt, yeah. we have also seen those uh, Muslims that have come to our schools mm -hmm. uh, becoming Christians yes. mm -hmm. and, uh, and believing. Um, you know, just recently we had a young girl that came to Sunrise <coughs> yes. and, uh, and she became a Christian. Mm -hmm. There's another one who is at St. Olive now. Mm -hmm. uh, she, she says she's a Christian, comes from a Muslim family. We have a young man, his name is Yahya. Yes, I know him. Yahya is a, was a Muslim young man. And uh, as he was at one of our school, his mother came and said, Hey, take this one, is one of yours. <laughs> 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 he was, uh, there you he go. was uh, a Christian, he had become a Christian. Yes. And he's now working, he's going to school, but also working full time at the polytechnic school we have. Yes, yes. So that is how things happen. Mm without forcing them, yeah. you just love them and open the door. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Very good question. Mm. Yes, yes please. During your uh, course of being in the ministry, yes. have you seen a point of like they, what they call frustration, that you feel like you just want to hit everything and <laughs> go somewhere and play sense instead of what yeah. you're doing? Wow, that's a powerful question. <laughs> I never thought anybody would ask me that. Careful, the Archbishop's here. Yes. I have. There's still time. I have wanted to run away from ministry. And he knows. Because when I ran away, he's the first man I met. And he, he closed the door. Maybe the Lord did, but... Uh, that's why I said that sometimes do you ever sit and say, am I, do you need me here, you know? Because sometimes you do things and you're like, Lord, are you there? Do you care? Are you with me or I'm alone, you know? So when you don't hear anything, then you're like, okay, I'm out, you know? But then you think you're out, but really you, you, you don't go out. I don't know how. You just... You think you, you're finished, mm. but you don't walk out. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought I was finished with ministry at some stage, but I never left. I don't know why I never left. Uh, not because I couldn't get a place. I could get a place to work. I, I have an MBA. I knew people in town. I, I, could, I could go somewhere and get a job, but you never get peace to do anything else, to go anywhere else when you... When the Lord has called you, yes, you may doubt. Abraham doubted many times, mm -hmm. but he didn't leave. Mm -hmm. So that power not to leave is God's grace upon you that you will stay even when it doesn't make sense until he says, well, come on, let's move on, mm -hmm. you know. Yes, it's, I've done it. 
but thank God I didn't run away. Maybe I wanted to, but he didn't allow me to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anybody else? Oh, we've got time for a couple more questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the back. What, what are some of the challenges getting the next generation of pastors ready for their calling? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the challenges that we have for the next generation is. Uh, There are so many expectations that the world is bringing in today. You graduate, you get a big salary, you get a car, you need a job that will give you medical insurance, will give you social security, all your friends are on this level, and if you enter into ministry, you're going to get this much. Uh, The challenge today is there are so many, there's a lot of information going on around that makes everybody want to jump to that standard even when they uh, really can't. Uh, So there's a a big expectation of our young people and that cues the the speed on which we should be getting people into ministry. But when you are called, as I said, you cannot run away. Mm. In one way or the other, Mm -hmm. the Lord opens up opportunities for you in one way or the other, even when you run away by His grace, He brings you back. So the biggest challenge is what is going on here. It's media has become big. Everybody wants to be rich. Everybody wants to be big. And everybody feels I should be leading somewhere. But we don't start by leading. We start by being led and then we grow into leadership. Sounds like here. So we are praying that our young people will will be humble, that they will be down to earth, and the Lord will raise them. Otherwise, you can't pull yourself up. The Lord has to be able to take you up because then you can stay up. When you take yourself, you, you can easily drop down and never come up again. I, I might suggest that that bright, sincere smile that you can come up with will carry you a long way. It, ha- it has you. some charisma attached to it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank My you. late father-in-law was a minister, yes. and I think he got through many difficult times just by kind of smiling his mm-hmm. way through. Thank you. Uh, people respond Thank to that very well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bishop in mind of the same way. Mm-hmm. I thought this file was very attractive. Exactly. <laughs> Great. Great. Anybody have one more question? Sure. I do, but I, you may have to help me verbalize this correctly. Um, we've had conversations about leadership, our leaders, our government leaders, and church leaders, mm-hmm. and um, what does obedience look like when we might either not trust or disagree with what they're doing. Um, Mm. You certainly in Rwanda have had experience with that, Mm. um, both church leaders and government leaders. And I'm just wondering how you think that translates to our situation here in the States, both with our government, with our church leaders, um, what does obedience look like 
Mm. I mean, I know bottom line, it's obedience yeah. to Christ. Yes. Um, and I wonder maybe if, beyond the scope yeah. of this class. But I wonder too if if you want to give a little bit of context to people that don't know. If you know about the genocide, you know about um, you know about people turning against one another, but then also the church was involved in that in a pretty horrific <coughs> way. Yeah. So I don't know if, mm. if you'll share a little bit about some of that. That might give yeah. some context, and then you can answer Shirley's question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that is really tough when you talk about obedience with uh, with authority and sometimes authority that is not godly. Uh, I think we need God's help there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what to say about it, but uh, something that I would say about obedience uh, right now in your context, even in our context, is that yes, there are things that we have been called to obey, but I think God gives us uh, the discernment of what is right and what is wrong. You may force me to obey you. I don't think that is obedience. Uh, that is your force upon me. But obedience is the will in me to do what is right. And it agrees with my conscience. So I think the governments may order things, but the obedience makes you decide what you're going to do. Rwanda had people who said, if you don't kill, we are going to kill you. But I know people who said, I'd rather die than kill my own people. Some of them were killed, some of them were never killed. But I'd rather die obedient when I know I've obeyed the the Lord than die when I know I've disobeyed the Lord. I mean, that's double death. You know, so I think as we live into the world, no matter where you are, in America, in Rwanda, uh, obedience remains that thing which is right. That thing which agrees with your conscience. That thing which is rooted into the word of God. It will give you peace and it will make you victorious no matter what. Because if you have to die, you die anyway, whether you, you want it or not. But if you are going to be obedient then you know you have a life to live ahead of you. I'd like to say this. There's a man who was told to kill his wife and his children. And he said, I will never. And if you guys want to kill my family, I will either kill one of you (laughs) or you kill me before you do that. And somehow they, they went away. He thought they would come back and they never came back. And one of his children is a young boy who was a music leader in our cathedral. He has grown up. He has become ordained. Mm. And I looked at that man. The man is still living. He was also in the choir. And I'm like, this guy is a hero. Mm. Amen. He stood for his family. He knew that they would kill him. He knew that they had killed so many. But he said, no. Because he had that conviction that whatever was going on was wrong and he trusted that the Lord, would, the Lord would help him and indeed the Lord rescued him. So bottom line, what I would say, we have authority, we have forces that are going to force us into things that are not right, stand and say no because help is on the way. Mm-hmm. May God bless you. Awesome. Thank you. Great question. You can close in prayer? Yeah, and... Um, mm-hmm.
you know, one of the things that's part of being partners in the gospel is that we're united through prayer. And that was something mm-hmm. that yeah. was another really encouraging point mm-hmm. on our trip is we got to meet so many different um, different people involved in the diocese's mm-hmm. work, especially um, Agnes, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. who was just yeah. such an encouragement to us. And she, mm-hmm. she told us um, what an encouragement it is to be bonded through prayer. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so... Um, so we want to pray for you, obviously, and everyone in this room. If you'd share, what are ways that we can pray for you moving forward? There's a lot of transition happening. Um, we want to be in prayer for um, Bishop Bronda and Chantal as they step into this new role and as you step into full leadership. But what what are some specific ways we can pray for you as a church and then each of us here? I think one of the things that is key is that you pray for me as a new leader to to pray and wait on the Lord to lead me to make the best decisions because there are many things that I've been thinking about many I think of something one day and then I wake up and say that is rubbish and and then I think oh this would be great and then I wake up and say I don't think so so I just need I need the Lord to put me down and say well this is what I want you to do. And then walk with me. Uh, I mean, that calls for humility and, and obedience to his word and, and discernment to know what it is. Because Shia diocese is a diocese that is so big. That is, it's a diocese that has so many opportunities. It's a diocese that the Lord has blessed. I don't think there is any other diocese that is like Shia diocese. Mm-hmm. And I think Bishop Mbanda and Chantal have prayed and worked and done whatever they can do. I've been to some of the seminars Bishop Mbanda has done. I think he's told those pastors everything he knows. I think he's like poured his life down for them. And and I think I'm walking into a team that is good. So I'm praying that the Lord will give me the wisdom to to work with them and the grace to 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 handle and accept whatever may not be right and handle it in a way that is mm-hmm. is godly and is is uh, that deserves a leader. Mm. Amen. I will continue to deserve your prayers for for whatever I'll be doing. I have a plan, but I don't know what it is. But <laughs> <laughs> the Lord knows. Yeah. Uh, I've already had my uh, I've already ha- written all my my things that I want to do, but you never know them until you've done them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Amen. Okay. Well, would you mind closing us in prayer? I would, I would be honored. Oh, Heavenly Father, we love you. Just thank you, Lord God, that you brought Sam, his family, Jackie, uh, the children to us, Lord God, to your discernment, to your calling. Uh, Bishop Mabanda, where you're leading him, Lord God. Chantal, his, their family, uh, Lord, just we are just so honored and grateful to to be part of this this wonderful partnership, Lord, that we can embrace of, of just what you've done in the country of, of Rwanda. Is, is, Lord, just see your hand at work. It's just just amazing. As many of us said when we were over in Rwanda, it's just for us. We're just a little taste of heaven, Lord God. And we're just so appreciative for that. Lord, I do pray for Sam. Uh, lift up his prayers to you. 
that you would lead him and guide him, that he may glorify you, Lord God, in everything that he does uh, going forward. And may we all each be your disciples and glorify you in everything that we do, Lord God. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.